And we're live. Quicker than last time. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, I'm going to apologize for uh, for Nick being here. This is being uh, recorded in the early August, and as many of you know, they're testifying about aliens on Capitol Hill, and uh, apparently some probing happened, some abduction happened, and now Nick has got to go testify about his experiences at Capitol Hill. Uh, it's a PTSD thing. We don't talk about it, but so you didn't hear it from me, people. Uh, with that being said, we're going to let our guest, Miss Janet Rocchiato. I probably should have asked you how to pronounce that last name. Uh, but can you tell us how to say introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hi, my name is Janet Rocciato. Nice to meet you. All right. So I was not even anywhere close to that one. <laughs> so Don't feel bad. My students have a hard time with it, too. Outstanding. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. Um, I have a background in special education. Um, I've been, I was a center director for a site that took care of medically fragile children. Um, and I had some other students that were high school age. Okay. And, um, the rest of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I actually was introduced to her through a friend of the show and an author we've actually interviewed, Mr. Edward Hansel. I understand you are friends with his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I met her years ago. On the show, apparently. That's, a- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so before we get started and we start talking about books and nerdy stuff, we've got to ask you the religion question. Are you ready for this? Yes, hit me with it. All right. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Firefly, of course. All right. So defend your answer. What is it about Firefly that appears appeals to you? Well, the one-liners are awesome. And also the concept of you know space cowboys. What else is there? This is true. And they aim to misbehave. Shiny. Yeah, I, I like the one-liners in that mechanic. She was so adorable. I think everybody, regardless of gender, had a little bit of a crush on her because she was so unique, special, whatever. Oh, yeah. Kaylee's the best. Um, the, the funny stories is if you if you listen to any of her interviews – she talks about how she went to a con and she was uh, one of the guest speakers, you know, playing because of the popularity of Firefly. And so she was dressed as her character to do the interview because that's sort of what they wanted. And someone in the elevator thought she was just a cosplayer and was complimenting her on how true to life she looked to to the character. And she just smiled and went with it and never told them they actually were in the elevator with the actress. <laughs> that's hilarious. That would be me. I would be the one who, who do some, did something so cringe. I would be the guy. Although, if it was me, I'd want them to tell me so I could, you know, tell other people. Well, yeah, what I would do is when I'm at cons, you know, I'll see a cosplay go by. And for the most of the time, I'm like, if I, if I recognize it, I'm like, oh, you know, cool cosplay. But, man, I've been burned. There was a couple times I somebody went past and I'm like, oh, cool cosplay. And they're like, um, this is the way I normally dress. So, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't have said anything to Kaylee just because I would be worried I was wrong. I mean, as far as mess ups go, that's that's the least embarrassing of all of them, because there are a whole bunch of other ones you could say that could be more offensive accidentally. Well, true, but still, it's like, oh, mm. oops. Well, then then your your retort would be something to the fact, well, then you have most excellent style and just rock it out. 
Oh, that's a good idea. I should try that. So because we are polytheistic here on the Blasters and Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time, or the Lord of the Rings? The classic Lord of the Rings. For a while, we took it out because it didn't seem fair to compare everyone else, but uh, listeners wanted that back, so so we went with it. Um, did you ever watch the Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. Um, did you like the uh, the original Hobbit cartoon? I don't know if you are old enough to have seen that. The uh, the uh, came out of the came late seventies, I think. Oh yeah, I saw that. I won't say that I saw it in the seventies, but I'd be lying if I did. <laughs> the uh, the graphics kind of have the same vibe as the Last Unicorn as far as the style. I don't know if that was because of limitations of the technology at the time or just an artistic choice, but it was definitely um, a good interpretation. Did you watch the movies that they made? I think it was in the 90s. No, I haven't seen those. Yeah, they the Lord of the Rings, they made the, the movies um, – they're pretty good. Um, they kind of ruined the uh, expectation because then when you ended up with the um, rings of power that HBO is doing and you see what like just the armor and the the way they filmed everything and you compare the two, it's like, how did we go downhill as technology got better and things got cheaper? Yeah, I haven't seen the rings of power either. You're not missing You're not much. Missing I mean, much. if you <laughs> take it as a uh, standalone property, it's not so bad. Um, it's just a, you know, generic sci-fi or fantasy. I didn't mind. And, you know, I don't mind campy movies. Um, when it comes to the, uh, true to form to the Lord of the Rings, it didn't feel like it. It actually felt more like Dragon Age Origins universe to me to down to how they describe the elves with like making jokes about their pointy ears and whatnot, which are some of the one-liners you get from NPCs. If you play an elf in the RPG. So as a standalone, it wasn't bad. As a uh, Lord of the Rings property, it's like, did you even read the source material? Yeah, I thought I'd just be too disappointed, so I didn't even go there. Yeah, you, you didn't miss much. And I wanted to like it. I went in wanting to like it. Because there have been other movies where, you know, politically people on each side took a side before they'd seen the movie. I tried not to do that and give everything the benefit of the doubt. So I watched the first half of season one, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So it was, it was just the poor costuming and the, it just, eh. so much wasted potential. I know what you mean. Um, so, you know, we brought you here to talk about your child children's book, which I threw up on the screen since uh, you're in a low Wi-Fi area. It's just easier not to have cameras on because of bandwidth insert computer mumbo jumbo. For those of you that know how all that works, I just hit the button and the hamsters do their thing. Um, but what got you started into writing? Because I imagine as a teacher, you're pretty busy. Well, yeah, I, I, I am. Um, I was. But um, when I started writing, my first trilogy actually is um, a superhero trilogy. And at the time I started writing that one, it was, I had a really rough time in my life. You know, a friend passed away over in Afghanistan and a whole bunch of things were happening. So I kind of made a superhero to fix all the problems. And that's how my first trilogy happened. Um, this series, though, um, Out of the Woods, The Griffins of Elderwood, that one started because I was driving my kids home from school and they wanted me to tell them stories. And so I, I tell them all this classic preschool stories, kindergarten stories, you know, that elementary, and they got bored. 
And they're like, tell us something else. So I had to make them something else. So I made up the Griffins of Elderwood as I drove them home from school every day. So, and then I just decided I should write it down. That is not a bad plan. Um, I think decent number of authors started their storytelling with kids, just entertaining them and then sort of went with it. So what made you decide to branch out from superheroes to, um, you know, all the other genres that you've written in? Because you've written children's book, you've written like a sci-fi. So, so what made you decide to break past the children, I mean, the um, superhero genre? You know, it's it's funny. I don't seem to write the same genre twice. Um, I did the superhero trilogy. I did this, the Griffins of Elderwood, which is like a fantasy action adventure. And then the next book I did was a historical fiction with a twist. So, and the one I'm working on right now is going to be an urban fantasy. So I don't seem to write the same one twice. That definitely makes marketing a little bit difficult for you. <laughs> it does. It does. So how do you decide? Do you have just a dartboard and you just list all of them and you throw it and go? I'm like, oh, guess I'm writing that next. Or like, what's your process to figure that out? Honestly, it's whatever catches my mind. My character, I'm very much an author that the characters are in my head telling me the story and I just have to write it down. And so whichever story is the loudest is the one I write next. Do you ever plan on when you finish the series going back to them maybe later? Like, you know, you started a trilogy. Well, I could, you know, write three or four more books in that world. Or do you just completely shut it off and move on? Hmm. I, people have asked me before if I'm going to write more, especially like on that trilogy. And I, I think it's just done. I I can't see myself writing anymore just because the characters are like, no, nope, done. Do you tend to stick with trilogies or do you see any longer running um, series in your future? Well, the Griffins of Elderwood is a five book series um, just because it okay. seemed to break up well that way. Um, and the historical action adventure or sorry, historical fiction with a twist was a one book one off. And the next one I'm doing is another one off. So the historical fiction, what time period did you set it in? 1860 Colorado. Oh, Civil War era. So all the nuts are going to come out of the woodwork and critique everything from the amount of buttons on the petticoat to insert all. Very brave of you. <laughs> Bring it on. It'll get me more publicity. Okay, the any press is good press mentality. That works. So what's the uh, synopsis of that one? I tend to dig history. I'm a little bit of a history nerd, so. Well, I'll just tell you that it does have a twist. Um, so John is a scout for Fort Garland. And while he's out working, he finds a mysterious woman on Blanca Peak and has to figure out what's going on with her. So I won't tell you what I won't tell you whether it's a fantasy or sci-fi twist. Time travelers for the win. Um, so have you been out to that area of Colorado so you can describe the terrain? Cause that's the kind of thing in that area you're going to want to get right. Right. Exactly. Um, mostly I did cause I wrote it during COVID while we were all stuck and uh, various museums were all closed. So I mostly did Google maps, which sounds horrible, but you know, the topography and looking at it, like you're standing on the road. Okay. Well, I mean, some of that changes, but I can't imagine in the, 100 and 
200 whatever years. Don't make me do math, people. I went to public school. But in the um, time since the 1860s, I can't imagine the terrain has shifted that much. Exactly. And then there's lots of biology um, texts on what was there and, and that kind of thing. Okay. So what's the story of the Griffins of Elderwood, which, you know, to go from adult content, adult content, to go to books geared towards fully grown people reading them because adult content has other connotations. Uh, what made you decide to shift there and almost pivot 180 degrees to go towards writing for kids? Again, I was basically, I had the story that I had um, thought up for my kids and, and my students, I have a lot of students that were high school students who read at like the fourth grade reading level. So, and they were bored out of their mind with their fourth grade, other fourth grade books. So when I wrote The Griffins of Elderwood, my hope was that I could write a book that was fun for all ages, even adults, um, but written more at the fourth grade writing, reading level to help my students out. Okay. So is this book... Um available wide or is it just on Amazon? Just on Amazon right now. I'm, I will try to get an audio book, but that's where I'm at right now and Kindle. Okay. So is this um, a book that has images on the inside, like some children's books and young children's books do, or is it just a chapter book? It's a chapter book. Um, funny story. Actually, I had an, an artist arranged when I first wrote this book and he did have like one picture, a chapter to help the kids with the vocabulary, but that artist dropped out after the first two books and my new artist, I couldn't afford to have him do more pictures. So I just scrubbed all the inside pictures. Okay. Um, so what can you tell us um, since, you know, we do have people that are listening in our audience that are listening with their kids. Uh, first, let's start off with what would your elevator pitch be for this series? Like 30 second elevator pitch. All right. 30 second elevator pitch. Um, Zay and Kiara are living in a town that's um, besieged by wyvern attacks. Um, they have found a couple of griffin eggs and they raise the griffins and they, the, the four of them start defending their town against the wyvern attacks. Okay. So why did you deter decide on wyverns? And what, what can you tell if people don't know what that is, if they're not well-versed in fantasy lore, because we've got some hardcore sci-fi types. Um, what can you tell us about the wyvern and why did you pick that as the uh, antagonist? Well, first, a wyvern is basically a dragon, sort of like smog, actually, in Lord of the Rings. Two back legs and two wings, no front legs. So that's the definition of a wyvern versus a dragon. Um, in my book, the wyverns are about the size of a large wolf. Okay. Um, I don't know why I had them as the, prote uh, the protagonist. Um, they weren't as cuddly and warm as griffins. I've never heard griffins described as cuddly and warm, but I'll go with that. Do they breathe fire? No, the wyverns don't breathe fire. I'm assuming you meant the wyverns. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. So... I'm assuming the danger then comes with the claws and, you know, the beak. Yep. Claws and beak and their bite is slightly toxic because they, you know, eat carrion and that kind of stuff. Kind of like Komodo dragons. Okay. So if they're only the size of a wolf, 
how is that besieging? I mean, are they just hundreds of them? I'm just trying to picture, you know, a few arrows could keep them at bay, I'd imagine. Right. It, the attacks have been slowly getting worse and worse over the years. Um, they're starting to attack livestock and that kind of thing. So the, the town is starting to not exactly starve, but it's not fun. But in the first episode and in the first book, there are flocks of wyverns that they call scourges that are hundreds of wyverns. So they can, and they start attacking like grain silos and those kind of things. Have you seen the movie Birds? The black and white Hitchcock movie? Exactly, like that. I was just wondering if that was an inspiration for what you were describing, because it feels like it. No, not necessarily. I was just trying to imagine farther into the series, you find out that there's a, a reason or a a force somebody controlling the wyverns so there's a reason for them okay so we've got the cover on the screen like we mentioned earlier since your wi-fi is is spotty at best we didn't want to uh cause issues and camera requires a lot of bandwidth but uh what's the story on the cover um because you, you chose to show focus on the egg instead of like you know the rampaging wyverns I don't know. I was just trying to give it, a, you know, like a tease. Um, it's the two main characters, Kara and Zay. Kara's on the left, the blonde, and Zay's the other one. Um, and it's their eggs hatching. It's their new friends, Solandra and Cirrus, hatching. It definitely sets the vibe that this is a young kid's book, just by the art choice. Um, are the rest of the books um, in the series of a similar style, the covers? Yeah, definitely similar style. Um, some other ones, the last book has more of an action. Zay is wrestling with the um, the bad guy. I don't want to ruin the storyline. Absolutely. So my experience, for instance, with some kids' books is that the series grows with the age of the reader. So like Harry Potter was famous. It got darker and longer as the series went on because the audience was getting older as they read it. Did you do that with this one or were you pretty consistent on the target demographic for each successive book? Pretty consistent. Um, you know, the characters age up a couple years, but um, the, it's the same idea. Same writing style, that sort of thing? Exactly. Same writing style, same level of violence and that kind of thing. Okay. So what can we expect as far as like the terrain we'll start there i mean is it you know standard european wooded area is it in the mountains like where is this where setting, is setting for this model? well the elderwood is a large old wood forest sort of like the um, black forest in europe okay that runs along the border of the kingdom of lycidium um, there are mountains between the elderwood and the capital but Mostly it takes place in a heavily forested area. A lot of the Grimm's fairy tales take place in the Black Forest too. So maybe that's something about woods that drives the darkness. I don't know. But I like trees. Um, so this is entirely fictional world. Um, did you get to explore a lot of the, the terrain in the surrounding area? Or do you stick pretty close to the, to the main town? The kids go explore. Um, they end up going to another town to help them against the scourge, and they travel to the capital, and they eventually travel to the neighboring kingdom, which is the source of where the wyverns are coming from. Okay. 
Um, is there magic? I'm assuming it's medieval based on the imagery uh, and what you've described, but is there magic as well? It is a medieval. They use, um, you know, pole arms and swords and bows and arrows. Um, the only magic in the book is how the wyverns are being controlled. So there is, if it's if it's there in the story, that means there's also the possibility for more later. Are you pretty confident that it's done at five or could you see yourself going back? I'm pretty confident it's done at five. Um, I, I pretty much wrap everything up and answer all the questions that were in the book. Okay. Now, are the main characters related or are they just friends? Childhood friends that have grown up together. Okay. So is there going to be any other uh, mediums besides the written word that you, you tell these stories? Like I could see this working as a graphic novel for kids. I would love it in a graphic novel form. Um, I've shopped it out to a couple places, but haven't found anybody that wants it. And I can't do artwork to save my life. I wouldn't even, like I've made it past stick figures, barely. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are kindergartners that can make better art than me. So I feel you on that one. Um, so what is the length roughly of each of these books? Each book is between 10,000 and 15,000 words. Is that, or do you want yeah, page so, length? Page length, roughly, because I think readers, and that's our audience, um, tend to relate that better to page length. Oh, golly. I'm not actually sure the page length of each book. I'd have to look okay. that up. <laughs> so what's roughly 500 words a page? Well, did you do large print for because it's a kid's book, or did you do standard print? I did those use large print because that's also easier for kids with learning disabilities. So we'll say 300 words a page. Uh, that's roughly 35 pages. Does that sound right? Or was it longer? Do you think? I don't know. That sounds wrong. Do you have a second and I can look it up? Sure. Well, we could look that up. Um, as for those of you that are interested, we will be linking to the book and her website with all of the things. And uh, it'll be available in the show notes. So be sure to check that. All right, there we go. While she's looking that up, we're going to for the woman this time. Hey there, this is author Katie Cross. Coming at you with an offer for a best-selling fantasy audiobook titled Flame. And it's totally for free. Here's a little bit more about it. Dragon servants Sana and Isadora Spence live deep in Leadham Wood, where persnickety dragons and wars on the borders are the least of their worries. Thanks to years of simmering tension, the hidden village is destined to crack, and soon. Sana's deep love for the giant beast causes her to make an irreversible mistake, while Isadora's disinterest in the dragons leads her to a fateful decision that will change the course of the entire world. Can the sisters prevent everything they know from falling apart? Or do they allow it to break and pave the way for new growth? Join the beloved Sister Witches in Flame, the first book in the Dragon Master trilogy. Just go to www.katiecrossbooks.com forward slash flame audiobook to get your free copy today. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial uh, interlude. And, uh, Welcome back. 
So uh, now that we've got you, uh, had time to look that up while we let our lovely sponsor, the Miss Katie Cross, uh, entertain us with her her commercial. How many pages did you say it was when you looked it up? They're each about 110 pages. Okay. So that's a decent size feel for a kid, you know, looking to grab a book. Um, so has it uh, been well-received when you've uh, showed it to the kids that you teach that inspired it? Were they kind of impressed to see it on, on paper? Yeah, no, they really loved it. And I've had some other special ed teachers also appreciate it. Um, I have one story at a convention I was at recently. I had, um, I was sitting at my booth and a mother and her daughter came running up towards the end of the con. And the mom was like, oh, I just, so glad we found you. My daughter was worried we wouldn't find you before the con ended. She loved, she, they had bought my Griffins of Elderwood series the year before. And the mom said the daughter had read it all, loved it, and shared it with all her friends at school. So that was great to hear. So did you put it in libraries and uh, that sort of thing yet? It is in the San Diego public library system. That's about as far as I've gotten it. Okay. I'm not sure how they do that. I don't do the back end of the uh, business side for myself. I have, I have minions that I, I feed to do that for me. I throw food and they, they do the thing they run on the hamster wheel, but uh, I'm sure there's answers to that. If, uh, if you could get that into the general library as an option, but um, is there any kind of network that you use as a special ed teacher to find these kinds of books? If other people are so inspired to add content for that demographic not that I found. Um, because of COVID, a lot of the special ed teacher conferences have kind of been canceled. So I've been looking for them to start up again. And I was really hoping to connect with people there. So there's no online like, hey, these are books that worked for me. I teach whatever kind of thing. Okay. Um, I do know that it's harder for authors that write for kids to find their readers because you got to go through their parents or through the librarian mostly. Um, and if you're Amazon exclusive, that makes your job a little bit more difficult. Um, so, so, well, if you well, find if you the find magic it. bullet for this, so people can find the, uh, their audience for this type of book, you should, you should come back and let us know in the, uh, Blasters and Blades Facebook group. So other people can do the same thing. Cause, uh, the sad thing is if you're, you know, old enough that you, you're bored by the kids books, but your reading level is at that level. I imagine that makes reading less than pleasant for them. So anything to keep people reading, I think is a good thing. Exactly. That's That was my goal. Um, unfortunately, from what I've heard, the only way to really get it in the school districts is for it to go through Scholastic. And if you don't get a agent that can get you in a Scholastic, then you're kind of up a creek. I know draft to digital can get you in um, on the public library side of things. Um, if you get the, if it's in there, then they can request it, presuming that uh, there's an interest on the site end. But that is way above my uh, pay grade. And there are podcasts that tell you how to do all that cool stuff to your listener if you're actually one of the 12 writers that listen. Um, so you should check those out instead. But with that being said, um, have you gotten any cool feedback from the public library that you sent it to in San Diego? Um, not directly from the library. Um, they have a local author program, and I was part of that. But I, the readers, I can't reach them through that. I do know it's been checked out a lot, though. Well, that's always a good thing. Um, did you actually donate the copies or did they request them? I donated them. That's cool. I know uh, with our public library, they told us that the problem with Amazon books is they weren't sturdy. I think the library standard is they have to be sturdy enough 
to have been read 10 times at a minimum. Uh, and I guess Amazon's print on demand doesn't hold up to their standard. <clears throat> but beyond that, I don't know. I donated mine to our local library as well. Hold on. Sorry, dear listener, it's allergy season. You didn't need to hear me hack my lungs up. So what can you tell us about the two main characters? Oh, well, they're old friends. Um, when the book starts, they're like mid-teenagers. Um, Kiara is a fairly small, short little um, wyvern snack size girl. And Zay is a, a taller, you know, almost six foot even for a teenager. So he's pretty tall. Um, Kiara can be stubborn, but she's faithful to her friends. And Zay is brave and ready for anything. Okay. And did you give personality to the two hatchlings that they befriended as well? Um, some, uh, mostly they're because they don't have speech. It's more, they can, they converse through mind images. Um, a little bit, uh, Cirrus doesn't like to, um, get in the water and Solandra does. But other than that, um, not too much. So. so do you show the town people reacting to them keeping pets of the creatures that have been tormenting them? Yeah, that comes out at the end of um, the Out of the Woods book. The townspeople don't know about the Griffins until the very end when the town is being swarmed by a scourge of hundreds of wyverns and the Griffins come and help them. Okay. So, you know, you've given us a little bit about the scenario. Um, if you had a chance to live in the world you created for the Griffins of Eldenwood, would you live there? Yeah, I think it would be fun. Uh, how dangerous on a scale of, you know, zero to, I don't know, a Stephen King novel is it? Um. At the beginning of the series or at the end of the series? At the beginning of the series, um, it's kind of dangerous. You have to stick around with other people. But by the end of the series, it's it's safe again. Okay. So because of the, the that you're writing for kids, does that mean you don't tend to get as much engagement? Like, you know, I know I sometimes get emails from people that have read my books to want to talk about it. Is that something that happens as a kids writer? I haven't yet. Um, I just actually, when I reprinted my books, I added my email to the back of them saying, please <laughs> contact me. I'd love to hear from you. So we'll see. Okay. Um, I just, I know sometimes that feedback is, is you know, definitely encouraging. So I, I can't imagine writing for an audience where, you know, trying to seek that out could come across as creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, most, mostly I hear from them at um, conventions. Or I guess their parents could potentially write if their kids specifically liked it. Um, so what makes your book different from the other children's books that are, that are out there occupying the same space? Well, I'm really hoping that it's um, more action than a lot of those books. And it's a little bit more complicated in the, the twists and turns. Like it's not blatantly obvious at the beginning why the wyverns are attacking more. Okay. Now you talked about the main characters and the two uh, wyverns that they, you know, made pets, I guess, friends. And, but um, are there any other secondary characters that, that we interact with in the uh, novels? 
yeah, a couple books in, you run into the king ends up making a um, group of dedicated knights that are going to, I don't want to ruin too much of the storyline, but they're going to also have griffins. Okay. Um, are Well, no, they're not really big enough to ride. Did you ever consider making them bigger so they could be like pern style mounts? Actually, these are big enough to ride. Um, I made them like a large size horse uh, at okay. the Withers. Okay. So can you imagine having to make a saddle for that thing? All right. Um, Actually, Kiara does make one for them. Nice. That is impressive. So given, you know, you've kind of tortured your characters along the way, if you met uh, these two lovely kids in a back alley, do you, do you see yourself coming out alive or are they just going to give you a stern talking to? No, I think they'll like it because, you know, at the beginning of the book, their town was starving and there was dread. And by the end, their towns are happy. Okay. So do you resolve the conflict with whoever is sending out the uh, the wyverns and um, all of that in the final novel? Like, do you get satisfaction there? Yes, definitely. Um, and free the wyverns from his control and, and all of that. Okay. So do you go all... So at the end of the novel, do you just sort of end it there at the, the book five? Or do they get to go home and resume normal life? Although, how do you go to normal life after something like that? I don't know. Uh, it sums up at the end. They um, go back to a normal life, but with their griffins and um, the kingdom has found other jobs for the the griffins and their riders to, to do. So if you could ride your own griffin, would you do it? For sure. Okay. I, I could see, well, are they like... Obviously, they're carnivorous, but do they eat a lot, or is it just that there's so many of them that was problematic? Uh, well, the griffins go and hunt their own deer, so um, I'm not sure how that would be problematic. What did you mean by too many of them? Uh, is it because that the, the wyvern were attacking in hordes that made them problematic as far as destroying food, or was each individual one also like a huge consumer? Oh, I see. I thought you were talking about the griffins. Um, the wyverns, it was just that there were so many of them. There was kind of like an unnaturally large population and they were being sent in large groups where normally they're small packs of like four to six, like wolves. Okay. So when you first started making wyverns as the, the antagonist, when you were first telling that story to kids, um, what made that be what comes to your mind? Because I imagine when you first started telling these stories, it was just pop what popped into your head. Oh. I don't know. Um, it could be Smog from Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, I have re read The Dragon Riders of Pern, and so you wouldn't think that would make me think Wyverns were bad, but um, I don't know. I just don't know okay so that uh sounds amazing um sometimes you know we, our episodes go long and sometimes our guest answers all my questions in succinct manner and they're not a windbag like me uh so with that being said um how can listeners and readers find you on the wild wild interwebs 
Well, I am, my books are through amazon.com. Just look for my name and you'll find all of my books. Um, I'm also on Facebook under Janet Rocciato. I have um, Instagram, again, Janet Rocciato. And those are primarily how they can find me. I have a website, uh, www.elfinforestwritersguild.com. Um, was, yes. was there anything that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we wrap this up? Not that I can think of. Okay. I, I so had a great time. It was fun. So before we let you go, dear listener, I'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part. I will link to all of Janet's uh, social media links in the show notes. So check those out. It's worth clicking a link or two. You can find us over on Linktree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash blasters and blades podcast again linktree backslash blasters and blades podcast where we link to all the things including our bit shoot and rumble we have a twitter over at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com we have a facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we also have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tacky and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on so we really appreciate it uh, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host doc saska and nick garber duly caffeinated they will drink until their eyeballs turn brown people because coffee is amazing and uh with that being said thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee nick garber and doc saska i am jr hanley and this was the blasters and blades podcast we'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes and all things that go boom. And that's a wrap, people. <laughs>